everyone. Jason Dorsett, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Would you want to take a minute and introduce yourself, what you're up to in life? Yeah, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm so uh, excited to be here today. I do want to apologize if, I, if my voice sounds a little raspy. Uh, I am coming over a sinus infection. Damn. So I, I, I do apologize in advance, but I'm so happy to be here. Uh, so my name is Jason J. Dorsett. The J stands for Jamal, and perhaps we'll talk a little bit about why uh, my middle name is so important to me later on. Uh, but uh, I am a PhD student here at Oregon State University, where I am studying um, educational policy, language, and equity okay. uh, here in our College of Education. Uh, I also serve as the director for a new office called Advancing Academic Equity for Student Success. Um, I am also the uh, uh, vice president for our local uh, NAACP chapter or our local NAACP branch here. The NAACP stands for the National Association for the Advancement, uh, the Advancement of Colored People. I am a very proud member of my beloved fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Um, so yeah, I'm just really involved civically, socially, politically, um, and I'm a student. And cool. I love higher education, and I love to engage with, with with others. I like that. So what's taking up your time lately? What are you What are you Ooh, focusing your energy on? That's a great question. Um, you know, we are at Oregon State. We are. Um, this is week nine for us, and so I am focusing on wrapping up some projects for the end of the year um, that's related to my, my my job and position on campus um, and I'm also focused on wrapping up my coursework uh, for the term so that has had me extremely busy a lot of late 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 nights early 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 mornings yeah. uh, and so perhaps that's why my voice is a little raspy and I, I'm feeling like I'm kind of catching a cold maybe but I don't know but yeah that's kind of what I've been up to cool a lot of schoolwork and stuff so I guess yeah. the main reason that I, I, I got this together today is because there's so many emails and meetings and just things that almost separate human beings mm -hmm. and a lot of older people in particular almost mm -hmm. feel like a disconnect where they can't even uh, you know just have a conversation with the person who's any different from them or say like hey yeah. like where are you from or be interested so I'm just kind of here to allow people to listen in on a conversation and just get to the bottom of some things, you know? Like, I, I think that's great. Um, and you know, I'm able to, hopefully I'm able to share some perspective. Yeah. You know, my sort of end game is never to persuade anyone to do anything, but just to share my story yeah. uh, and to share my experiences. So again, I'm happy to be here. Beautiful. So as a black man living in Oregon, mm -hmm. do you deal with microaggressions? And what are microaggressions? I have dealt with microaggressions. I've dealt with blatant racism. Um, I've dealt with a lot. Uh, but microaggressions um, are, in layman's terms, uh, microaggressions are those very subtle endo-endos, subtle jabs, uh, subtle um, comments, rude comments, subtly rude comments, I often like to say, uh, that people make uh, based upon um, stereotypes that they may have of an individual um, that may be different from them. 
um, microaggressions, in my opinion, um, can work both ways. Not only can folk from what we call the privileged uh, uh, sort of background or the privileged uh, sort of places in life be uh, experience microaggressions, but we certainly know that underrepresented members of, of our community experience microaggressions quite a lot. And so it's those subtle jabs, those um, unconscious sometimes, um, things that people say that are very stereotypical, that are very um, um, not, not at all um, pleasant, uh, but I also believe that people oftentimes experience microaggressions or participate in microaggressions because they don't know any better. Yeah, you mentioned unconscious in there. Do you think most of them are unconscious or do you think people are consciously you know, I think uh, given our current political um, sort of situation we have now, it's really hard to say. Uh, when you have individuals in power that are, in my personal opinion, that uh, blatantly disrespect others um, with no regard um, whatsoever, and that type of behavior is excused and it's uh, acceptable and it's gone um, sort of unchecked and there's no accountability. I think when you factor in all those different things, I think people are left feeling somewhat confused and somewhat unconscious. Um, and so as a result of where we are currently in terms of our political structure and social structures here that we have, uh, I like to believe that um, people um, are really wanting to learn um, from others, um, but I am conscious enough to know that we are all made up of our experiences, uh, the ways in which you have navigated through life, the ways in which I have navigated through life, regardless your of our your parents, influence parents you. have influenced, correct. All of those things, excuse me, all of those things factor um, and make up who we are today and sort of how we perceive things to be. Yeah. Um, and so the short answer to that is yes, I, I do think deep down inside, there are a lot of unconscious um, biases that we have against folk. There are a lot of unconscious microaggressions that we make toward others. Yeah. So, so say if someone is trying to be consciously aware of the words they're saying and stuff, but like the way I go through life is just like, I'll treat everyone the exact way that I treat myself mm. in any given conversation. But there's some some things where it's like, you've almost, I've almost been told two different things. Like if I meet someone, like even if a white person with a different accent, I'm like, oh, where are you from? Like if they're from New York or something like that. But through emails and stuff, it's almost created like, could I ask someone, hey, where are you from? If they, if they clearly have an accent for that isn't from around here? Mm. Or is mm. that a microaggression? You know, I wouldn't call that a microaggression. I think, um, the ways in which you craft that question. Um, again, because when we think about race, when we think about human beings and humanity and the world, it is very, very complex um, for everyone, regardless of their gender identity, their race, their ethnicity. Um, the world is complex. And so within my program, um, and I shared with you earlier that I'm in this language education policy and equity program, we really talk about and spend a great deal um, really making meaning and understanding how powerful language language is. Um, to me, 
Um, there are things that people may say, but again, because I'm from North Carolina, I'm in my mid thirties, um, I'm a black male. There are things that people may say to me that may not share some of those same social identities as I, that I may say, hmm, what did you mean by that? Yeah. Okay. Um, or I may say, hmm, could you repeat that? Could you clarify exactly what you're saying? Or could you reframe or say, or ask your question in a different way? And I think as, as humans, we really need to um, begin to adopt what I like to call um, a, a, a sort of inquisitive inquiry. You know, it's like ask questions that are not only that will help you understand, but when those words come out of your mouth, be sure that the words that are coming out of your mouth are coming from the most sincere place within you. Um, and again, even that's somewhat subjective, right? Um, and so it is this constant um, sort of reframing and um, uh, allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to clarify or even to apologize or even to say, hey, are you understanding my question? Um, if not, how best can I ask this question so that you may understand? Yeah, it all just breaks down to communication, which is what you're working in. That's the bottom line, yes. So, so what is the, the primary work that you're doing with uh, re-educating people about uh, you know, just communication. Yeah, so um, during my downtime, which is never almost, uh, I, cause I love speaking with people, um, I am an extrovert, although the older I'm becoming, I'm starting to feel more like an introvert, uh, but I am an extrovert by nature. And so um, I have uh, began to lean into and appreciate uh, the fact that I can have conversations, I can have discourse um, and engage with others, have a really meaningful dialogue with, with any and everyone, regardless of their political views, regardless of their sort of um, personal beliefs and, and values. Um, I do believe that um, I am, am able to um, connect with people right where they are and to establish a relationship. And so, um, I spend a great deal of time establishing relationships with people. Um, not only people who may share some of those similar beliefs and core values like I, but also those who don't. Because I am a firm believer that regardless of all of our differences, right, or all of the differences that we may have with an individual, that you will find some similarities. And it's those similarities that you nurture, that you groom, that you sort of um, uh, uh, nurture, like I said earlier, and you look for ways to build upon some of those similarities so that in the time of differences, you can always lean back on the similarities. The similarities is what build the relationship. The similarities are what anchors the relationship. The similarities is what sort of reminds you that, hey, this person isn't a total jerk. They may have jerk tendencies like we all do, or they may say they may say things, you know, they may have some jerk moments. But let's remind ourselves of those times where we actually um, broke bread together, where we actually engaged in meaningful, 
a meaningful exchange and how that made each of us feel. Yeah, I like that. Well, I think when you say jerk moments and jerk tendencies, I think most people generally think of themselves as good moral people mm -hmm. and they want to know the best. I feel like a lot of those jerk moments come from miscommunications yes. or misunderstandings, yes. miseducations and all those sorts of things. So seeing that as this is a platform where you can't have a one-on-one -on -one with everyone watching, what would be some broad strokes things that maybe you're trying to like are currently on your agenda of like these things should change in the in the public eye? That's a great question. You know, and I will say this, um, I am human, like you and like the others who will be watching this. And I have allowed myself to um, change my mind, you know, and um, be okay with changing my mind. And so become flexible um, versus um, very um, linear type of thinker. I like to think outside the box, and I, I like to give myself permission to do that. Um, that said, there I have been sitting with a couple of sort of, uh, I like to call them awakening curiosities, if you will, uh, that I've currently been sitting with. Uh, and so one is around grace. Um, I, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm actually 37, um, I've lived uh, a great life. Um, I have been brought up in a, a loving uh, family um, and I've been surrounding myself throughout my entire life uh, around diverse folk. Folk who are certainly share some similarities, some racial makeup, some racial identities that I have, gender identities that I have. And I've also encountered a lot of, excuse me a lot of people who are different from me and I've had some jerk moments I have um, said some things that I wish I would not have said and so what I keep coming back to Tiger now is grace and humility and for me I try to live my life I try to engage with others I try to do my 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 job my coursework from um from uh, a lens of grace um really quick just to just to dig into that a little what do you mean by grace just forgiveness or under um yeah it can be forgiveness um grace could be uh patience grace could be looking at the glass half full versus half empty Grace could be giving folk the benefit of the doubt. Okay, I like that a lot. Yeah. You know, um, so really exhaust, personally exhausting all means that I can physically exhaust to give that person or that individual or that topic or subject a fair, not even a fair shot, but an equitable shot. Yeah. You know, an equitable shot because as I said earlier, we are all made up of, we are all made up of stories. And it's easy for me to say, oh, this person is a bigot, this person is a racist. But if I don't have, or if I don't know their story, if I don't know why uh, they may have these sort of bigotry moments or these racist moments, who am I to judge? Mm -hmm. You know? I do. Yeah, um, kind of to go along that same line of thinking, a big thing that I've seen in the media a lot lately, pushed by Candace Owens and Kanye West and stuff, is mm. this idea of, uh, not giving grace, like seeing any bad look as that's racism and stuff. And I'm curious, do you think that is a prominent issue or that they're, that they're just blowing smoke with that whole idea? You know, again, I think we have, we have unfortunately, since the beginning of time, but here recently, 
um, with this current administration and with just the current structure of society. Um, we are confused. We are confused people. Um, and we are a people who have um, engaged in a lot of, of, of conversations, a lot of things, a lot of activities that ethically, um, I would venture to say that ethically, the majority of folk would say, this is unacceptable. But when unacceptability goes unchecked, no one has been held accountable. Um, things like this happen and people become confused. And I certainly think, um, as much as I respect Kanye West as an artist, uh, I, think, I think Kanye West may be a little confused. That's my personal opinion. Um, I do not really listen to Kanye West's music. Um, and if, and if and when he comes on TV, um, I don't really engage because from, and again, not to say that I'm judging. And again, like I said earlier, I may change my mind after I leave this room, who knows? But right now, based off of some of his actions um, and some of the ways in which he has engaged uh, in conversations, uh, and in my personal opinion, his lack of ability uh, to really use his platform and his um, clout and celebrityism in a way that will uplift humanity um, versus sort of um, disenfranchise humanity, uh, I'd say I don't really, he's not my favorite person right now. Who would be your favorite person right now? You know, kind of going back to the grace piece, uh, I love gospel music. I am from the South. I grew up in a very uh, religious, uh, uh, Pentecostal uh, uh, family. Um, I do now consider myself spiritual versus religious because in my opinion, religion is uh, very um, sort of, can be very traditional, it's very, it can be very one-sided. And so uh, I like to say that I'm a spiritual person because while I do identify as a Christian, I have a personal relationship with the person who I call Christ. Um, and I don't um, band or, or, or sort of um, try to, uh, what they call Bible thump or, uh, 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 or judge anyone who may not believe in the same ways in which, in which I do. Um, and so I listen to gospel music and the reason why I say gospel, gospel music and grace is because all through gospel genres, whether it's black Southern gospel or white contemporary gospel or what have you, a mixture of both, the underlying theme of gospel music is grace, it's love, it's um, let's do better. It's very uplifting and it's very motivating. And so I like to listen to uplifting and motivating work, uh, uh, work words, songs, because the reality is that we do live in a world that is um, all over the place. And for me to find a moment to retreat and for me to find places of refuge, if you will, to sort of recenter myself, I turn to gospel music. I like that a lot. It brings a good sense of community. Yes. 
fill in the soul kind of music. So mm-hmm. kind of a question about that. I know a while ago you uh, screened Get Out, I believe. Yeah. And so I personally stay away from horror movies because of the exact opposite of that reason. Is like I try to stay toward good and just keep away any any sort of negative stuff from my life. Because then when you're in the dark or alone or you haven't had much sleep and you start to, you know, it's, it's not good to have any negative in there. So I'm curious, you still watch horror movies though? You know, that's, that's, <laughs> it's funny you said that. So there's a horror movie out now. It's called Ma. Have you seen the previews for I it? I haven't. Uh, there, are, there are some pieces that are very similar to Get Out. Um, so I do. I do watch horror movies. Um, I don't like to watch them by myself. Okay. Uh, so I watch them with friends. I watch them with my partner. I watch them with uh, my fraternity brothers. Um but yeah, I, I do watch horror movies. Now, um, it depends on how horrific they are. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if they are very, very extremely horrific, uh, I try not to watch them. Like, there's a, a piece out right now um, on Netflix. I believe it's called This Is Us. I think that's what it's called. Uh, are you familiar with it? Not. Um, well, it is certainly trending all on social media. And in essence, um, I think it's This Is Us. I believe that's what it is. Um, in essence, it's about five African-American men um, who were wrongfully accused of of a crime. I believe it was murder. Modern day? Yes, modern day. Like, uh, it's out now. They were wrongfully accused, uh, and it was exposed, I want to say, about three years ago. So it took them a while to make the movie. So this is a true story. True story. Okay. And these five young men is, uh, is based out of New York. Uh, something, again, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm just kind of peeking my head in, in, the, in the trailers every now and again. And um, it's based out of New York City, New York. Um, five black males, and they were wrongfully accused. And they uh, basically served 30 years in the state penitentiary. Um, and the government, the district attorney back in 89 and 88, uh, was so dead set on locking these young men up, okay, that uh, allegedly she coerced the jury. She um, uh, sort of brought in evidence that was not even a part of the case and the trial. So just really did some foul type of things. And so when we put just that that happened 30 years ago in context with why... Um, some folk of color, and particularly black people, stay away from police um, and do not trust our judicial system. Um, you don't have to go back too, too far. You can just go back, you know, 30 some years, say, to 1989. Yeah. Um, and there you have it. Which brings up some really interesting topics. I was talking with uh, Dr. Ho- uh, Joseph Orozco. Orozco, yeah. yeah um, and he said a good thing to bring up in this conversation would be institutional. Mm. racism and just the 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 more like like osu maybe being even founded upon it Ugh. um so i'm curious if you have any thoughts on just where the world you keep mentioning the the current administration which for me i stay out of politics yeah. um, it holds no ground in my life because i good. stay out of news and everything good um <laughs> but but you clearly keep bringing it up so i'm curious if if new things are being instituted or something yeah you know um oregon state uh first of all the history of oregon is traumatic this state um, was built uh, uh, on, was act, well not built on, this state was 
and some may argue still is, a very um, exclusionary type of state. What do you mean by exclusionary? Um, meaning that this state, you know, there's 50 states in the, in the union that makes up the United States. This state was, if not the last, one of the last states to become a part of this thing that we call the United States of America. So imagine um, being a part of, of a large organization or a large entity, and then there's a segment of a large entity that still is doing their own thing, that refuses to conform, that refuses to um, sort of buy into the laws of the land or the rules or the structure that is being governed by the majority of folk. Yeah. So Oregon was that. Oregon wasn't part of the South though, was it? No. This Oregon, is after that. Yes, yes. With, this with is Jim at, Crow laws at, and stuff like that? Yep, after Jim Crow laws, um, after Reconstruction. Um, and so Oregon, um, it was sort of like, okay, great example. So you know how, okay, so you know Canada sits above the United States. Yeah. Canada is attached to the, to the United States uh, by way of the continent of North America, right? So Oregon tried to pull a Canada type of thing. And so they wanted to be their own state, although they were a part of North America. Similarly to Florida, I mean not Florida, Mexico is its own country. Mm -hmm. But Mexico is, a, is, 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 Mexico shares North America with the United States. Mm -hmm. And so when you share a large range of space, typically there are some similarities, typically there's some grace, especially if, you know, one country um, approves or is appreciative of another. In our case, Canada and North America is very easy for folk to, you know, cross borders, whereas now, um, given a lot of of what, what, what is going on uh, with DACA and, and undocumented folk and the administration is not as easy for folk to sort of go from Mexico to North America. So that's sort of a dichotomy that I wanted to sort of create right now. So imagine that, that, that Oregon was something similar to like um, a New Mexico or Canada. And so Oregon did its own thing, which means when I say they were a, an exclusionary state, it means that they did not have to allow certain individuals, um, they did not have to allow or welcome certain individuals in their state. So, um, and black folk, um, African-Americans were one group of people that they did not want in their state. And so oftentimes people wonder, they say this thing, or they say things like, um, why are there not more black people in Oregon? Well, as people, um, and similar to any ethnic group and racial group, we are made up of stories. Our ancestors told us stories way before we can give any interviews, way before we can engage in any type of te technology or social media platforms. We learn from storytelling of our ancestors. And a long time ago, our ancestors told us, okay, that especially for African-American folk, that's why a lot of African-American folk and black folk live on the East Coast and in the South. Because when we were brought over here from the continent of Africa, from South Africa, to be exact, and other countries in Africa, um, on the continent of, of Africa, we were shipped over, we were brought over here, and we were more so um, forced to 
live in the South um, and the East Coast. Um, and sort of like um, nurture and to help sort of fertile the grounds, right? Um, create an infrastructure. And African Americans were never exposed to anything else outside of what they could see. We knew we knew the East Coast up and down. We, we had that. And then eventually one day, um, due to um, uh, uh, not only emancipation of slavery, which we can talk about later, but due to, again, curiosity, uh, and people saying there has to be a better life, there has to be something better than this hellhole that we're living in as slaves, let's venture out. And so black folk eventually started to venture out. And so as they began to venture out and they began to migrate all over the United States, Oregon was one of those states where they were very um, uh, uh, unwelcoming. Yes, thank you. That's that's the that's the best way I can say it. Very unwelcoming. And and I mean a lot of the states were unwelcoming, but Oregon had this unique unwelcomeness that um, put fear in people's heart. Uh, and honestly, there really wasn't a culture out here for Black folk. Um, until um, I would say post post um, eighteen sixty five, maybe eighteen sixty nine, um, and that's when we historically post eighteen sixty nine. I want to say around eighteen seventy one. Um, we it was documented that black folk were on these on these grounds. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. It almost seems like. <clears throat> Today, it's almost like an overcompensation because it seems like Oregon's one of the most liberal hmm. states with in, ter in terms of uh, what the agenda that they seem to be pushing. Yes, you know, you would think that. And um, that's the sort of uh, uncomfortable part about liberalism that I just do not like to resonate with. So liberalism like diversity is so broad. It's, it means so many things. But when a person becomes liberated, truly liberated, they truly can be inclusive of everything and everybody. Here in Oregon, from my personal experiences, uh, there is a, a, a deep tone of anti-blackness, which means uh, that we accept any and everything, LGBTQ, we love it, um, Latino, Latinx, we love it. Um, but when you start to really think about and become awakened around blackness and the power within blackness, um, people tend to not engage as fully. And that's because society has unconsciously for us, society has told us over and over and over again that blackness is performed this way. Uh, black folk represents this type of thing. Black folk act like this. Um, and so within the black culture, while in some places and in some communities it's celebrated, in the majority of our communities, it's police, it's, um, it's, it's, it's frowned upon, and it happens and we don't even realize it's happening. Yeah, a good example of that is uh, last year, I think the statistic came out that up near a majority of people being pulled over in Portland were, were 
black yes but then that only like three percent of the population in portland is black exactly so it's that institutional like you know no goodness uh, yeah well, yeah you know and we 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 sometimes especially as like statisticians and like folk doing like quantitative research uh, I, I engage in both myself um but numbers quantitative research numbers can tell you a story mm -hmm. don't give me don't get me wrong Qualitative data and narratives can tell you a different story. And what would you mean by that? So uh, quantitative um, uh, methods, research methods, looks at uh, raw data, like raw numbers, yeah. okay? So um, one may say, okay, uh, prime example, 2% um, of the entire population of Oregon is black, okay? That's 2%. Yeah. 2% of 100% isn't a lot two percent of a hundred is two <laughs> yeah two you know you have a a, a two percent chance out of a hundred of doing something okay. so your eyes aren't really that actually yeah your eyes aren't really that great yeah right and so when you look at the two percent of black folk that's in oregon and then you look at the uh, I want to say it's around maybe, I don't know, maybe let's say 30% of, I don't even want to say 30, I'll say 20% of the entire population of, 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 of residents are in prison or in jail. And then out of that 20%, 80% of that 20% make up folk of color or black folk. That's a problem. That's a problem. You see, and so sometimes folk use quantitative data and research to tell all different types of stories. Sometimes they may say, like you said earlier, oh, the majority of uh, the majority folk um, who commit crimes and who are in prison are black folk. That could be true. But the bigger picture is let's look at how many black folk or folk of color do we have in the state. Yeah. You see? I do see. And so sometimes with quantitative data, we compare apples to oranges when we need to be when we need to be comparing oranges to oranges and apples to apples. Mm -hmm. Now, qualitative research methods allows one to engage in stories. So I may say, Tiger, what's your story? And you begin to tell me your story. Such as the movie that just came out. Such as the movie that, that just came out, right. you know. Uh, quantitative data may say, um, there is a chance, or there is a percentage of white folk here who answered a certain question on a survey one way. Therefore, a percentage of these folk who answered this question this way on this survey um, is racist. Well, that may not necessarily be the case. What may be the case is a percentage of, of folk who identify as white answered the question this way because yes, some may be racist, but some may not, may not have understood the question. Some may have been tired. Some may have been coming over a cold. Some may not have wanted to even participate. So you have to kind of factor and kind of go a little deeper. And that's what qualitative research does. Okay. It, it, it allows one to go deeper, um, to gain perspective, to gain clarity, to gain, a, to gain a, uh, a greater deal or a greater understanding. Yeah, to use a little bit of qualitative um to look into you mentioned prisons and uh, article 13 or amendment 13 yes. is kind of a big issue now um, mm -hmm. especially because if 80 percent of 20 percent of the population 
is colored folks in yeah, uh, in prisons color. that's no good and um, amendment 13 pretty much just says slavery is still a thing if someone commits a crime mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's no good when systematically the same people are being getting in trouble for crimes yeah yeah so, yeah it's, it's it's not um and that's why we need to um educate each other um and we need to have courageous conversations across our differences. Um, now, we also need to be knowledgeable and mindful that some people, um, they would like to see and they think that black folk and folk of color um, needs to be in jail. That's the reality. You know, they feel as if that's, that's, that's their contribution to society. Uh, to be in jail and to and to sort of uh, produce uh, goods because that's what they do in this in the in the in the, in the prisons uh, produce goods uh, for cheap so cheap labor um, for society and some people are under the notion or under the sort of of, of, of thinking that that is the role of folk of color um, which of course is not the case at all. Um, no one should be forced to do labor uh, and to be paid either nothing at all or very little. I'd almost argue a very slim minority of people believe the way that you just said, though. But exactly. those people may tend to be in power. But I don't believe that that oh, again, describes like, even the, a small minority of people. I, I, you know, I'm not. I don't. I don't have the data on that. I. Uh, I would like I said earlier. I don't think. Um, that the majority of the people think that way. I don't even, and I do, I would agree, I think it is a small minority. But that small minority of folk, right, they have what you call cultural capital, clout, and power, and positional power. Okay? Another example. I'm an administrator. I have privilege. I'm, I have some, some level of, 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 of education. Uh, I have access to um, a lot of powerful people. I sit at the table with a lot of powerful people, um, and I have a responsibility. And I could either choose to um, not be uh, uh, not be an authentic uh, um, person and just sort of um, monopolize or not monopolize, manipulate um, others and sort of coerce others. Or I can choose to do the right thing. And I choose to do the right thing. But on the flip side of that, not everyone chooses to do the right thing. And this administration shows that. This administration, and you know, and it's not just just this administration too. It's it's people. You know, we think about some of these really large corporations, like you're making billions and billions of dollars. Like not only can you like not only do you have enough money for the rest of your life, but you have enough money for the rest of your kids 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 life and so the question then becomes how much money do you need and Mm -hmm. what are you doing with it you know you can blow your nose with a hundred dollar bills and throw it and and throw it away like what like it's greed like what like how did we get here Mm -hmm. and we got here because people um manipulate power they are selfish uh, and they have no regard for humanity. That's what I think. Do you think there's a way of reaching those people, or do you think they're lost causes? We should just focus on the majority. <clears throat> you know, I'm 
like I said earlier, I'm 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 still optimistic. I'm still hopeful. Am I? Do I get frustrated sometimes? Probably a lot. I do, but I still think there's a way to reach people, and it starts with conversations that we're having. It starts with patience and grace, um, and looking for similarities. I like that. You know, but it's not. Tire, it's it's not easy. It is not easy, people. It is not easy. <laughs> yeah. It is not easy at all. Yeah. So one thing that I've heard you mention a couple times, you say African Americans and blacks. Mm-hmm. So because you're from Carolina, or, yep, North Carolina, uh, yeah, you'd consider yourself a black person. Yeah, you know, it, for me, is yeah, I use it interchangeably. Um, uh, you know, actually, at one point in time, um, here recently. Uh, I was about to start to refer to myself as a Negro. Like I said, I and to you, I see your eyes got a little big there. <laughs> Ironically? Uh, yeah, no, you know, just because I just got tired of um, the discourse around what is black, what is blackness, um, and this sort of internal de- debate within um, communities and within society around African American, or are you black, or are you of, of African descent? And so I was like, you know what? Just called me a Negro. And at one point, I thought I could single-handedly, and clearly, clearly that didn't work, I could sort of take back the word Negro that was used to oppress my ancestors and sort of reaffirm our existence by um, reclaiming that word and sort of making it look or making it appear to be, be positive. And I was sadly mistaken because the word is so deeply, um, it has some deep, deep, deep uh, negative uh, undertones to it uh, and deep, deep, deep history to it. Um, just like the word, you know, the N-I-G-G, nigger, you know, regardless of how you say it, if it's nigger or nigga, I don't really care. I don't say that word. Um, because regardless of how you say it, with the ER, with the A, with the H, with the Z, with the X, regardless of how you say it, it still has negative underpinnings that that detri- that 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 has been detrimental and devastating and traumatic for Black folk. Yeah. And so I said, it's not worth risking um, hurting or causing additional trauma to. Um, community members that has all that have already experienced so much. It's interesting to think about how people usually say it as the N word, but that mm. almost gives it more power to just mm. not even say a word. So I'm mm-hmm. curious. This seems to be a topic that you put some thought into. Do you have any any resolutions for where this word should go? Because words are powerful. They are powerful. Um, you know, I think um, at least within some of our. Uh, cultures, i.e. the hip-hop culture, um, music culture, um, even African-American black culture, that word has become a word that honestly I don't think we would ever dismantle or ever um, stop using uh, because we have been brainwashed to um, view ourselves in that way and society has not, and I don't even think they have the uh, capacity to reframe or to suggest uh, other words for individuals to use. It's, 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 a, it's, it's ingrained. 
okay? It's, it's a part of the culture. Like someone, someone said that you were white. You're white. Yeah. Someone said I was black. I'm black. And so we have to really think about how the world um, was socially constructed um, and how we as people are penalized and sometimes even humiliated if we go against the grain. We are othered. We are pushed out of our own communities, which is why some people struggle um, so much uh, to express their sexual orientation and identity. It's not because they didn't realize, oh, I'm LGBTQ. Maybe they, are, they, they, they knew they were LGBTQ whenever it was time for them to know. But they keep those secrets within and they keep that identity within because they don't want to feel pushed aside. And society creates these norms. Society tells us, you're doing an interview, you have to wear a suit. We don't even realize it. Yeah, you know, it's it's a part of the culture. Uh, well, I have on a suit today because I had a whole lot of other things going on. But you know, I I wear suits all the time, and yeah. I'm sure, and I know you do too. You're you're always well dressed when I see you. But some people, when they put on a suit, the question is, oh, where are you going, or why are you dressed up today, or like, why do you like, why are you so fashion forward? It's because society has placed these sort of um, uh, restrictions on us. Oh, you're wearing a suit. You must be going to church. Or you must be going to work. Or you must have an interview. Oh, I'm just going to check my mail. I'm just going to get a bite to eat. Yeah. So that's so how it works. At the core of what you're saying here, do you believe the black community doesn't treat LGBTQ members well? You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think any community treats LGBTQ community well. And I certainly do not think that my community um, treats LGBTQ uh, members well. I think that uh, we, um, some of us, we are threatened um, by the fact that uh, this, that members in our community are LGBTQ. And I think we may feel as if um, their sexual orientation may water down the broader cause or the broader fight, which is to end racism. However, if you know anything about oppression, you will know that all of these inequities, all of these sort of oppressions, all of these isms are linked together. And if we can dismantle one, we should be able to apply that same tool to dismantle them all. You think there's a way to dismantle them? That's I'm tough. hopeful. That is tough. I, you know, and again, I'm, I'm I told you, I'm a Christian. I, I, I pray. I do all these things, but there's also a, 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 a um, I'm also a realist, and I, I don't think so. And so, what I am on the journey of being and trying to role model is, um, loving yourself, because. Even when you love yourself, others won't love you. Yeah. And when you don't love yourself, others still may not love you. Yeah. So it's kind of like a catch-22. So why don't you just love yourself, love who you are, love who you love, love who you have become or who you are becoming, and then say, hey, you know, maybe others will get on board. Maybe others will engage with me. Maybe not. Um, and so that's my sort of philosophy on life, if you will, and that's how I try to live my life. Am I 
Am I there? No. Um, do I uh, translanguage a lot, which means code switch? Do you know what that means? No. So translanguaging or code switching means um, like uh, putting on a mask. You know, um, we all wear masks. Oh, you talk to your parents, you talk one way, you talk to your spouse, you talk the other way. Okay. Yes, or yeah. your friends or your professor or an interview, yeah. you know. Like when we were getting to know each other, we talked one way. Um, now that we know each other, we still get to know each other. We talk a different way, yeah. you know, and it comes with time. It comes with trust and location and location. You're right. And so as an individual is able to build rapport, trust and all those things with someone, they are then able to sort of take off some of the mask, you know, some of the mask and some of the layers and get to the core of, of who they are. I like that. Mm -hmm. Related to that whole path, do you, uh, are you aware of who Jordan Peterson is? Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson. He's, um, on, on one side of what you're saying, he's agreeing with a lot, and on the other side, he's actually fighting a lot what you, uh, what you stand for. So he, he, his fundamental belief is that you should work on yourself first before mm -hmm. you work on a community or anything. Love yourself, invest in yourself, and stuff like that. But the other side of him, which he gets a lot of flack from, is uh, up in Canada, they, they made it law, where um, you can actually get fined and go to jail if you don't call people, or if you call someone by their dead name. Um, and some of that. So from the LGBTQ community, he's getting, he's the devil. What's a dead name? Um, isn't that when someone transitions from a male to a female, female to male? Oh, okay, okay, And you okay, get a okay. new name? Okay, got you. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. I didn't um, know it's called dead. Yeah, we just call that like a new name. But yeah, whatever, the day, whatever yeah. it is. But anyway, but anyways, so um, I, I guess I was going to ask if you had any thoughts on it, but you don't. I um, isn't in your realm. That's not in my realm. But what is it? What 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 is in my realm is uh, respect. And if I introduce myself as Jason or JD, um, regardless of how I look, that's what I would hope. That's what you should be called. And I would expect that someone calls me. Yeah. And then tomorrow, the next day, I say, "Oh, I'm Jasmine, or I'm Rachel, or I'm Jackie." But That's, do you think the law should be able to dick, like get me in trouble if I if I don't keep up with that? You know, That's, it gets a little tricky with, yeah, when the I law don't, comes I don't, in. I don't think that. Uh, I think, in terms of the legal system structure type of law, no. Uh, but in terms of ethical self governing, self governing, I yes, yeah. I think you should any decent human being. Just yes, yeah, but should but do I feel as if you should be crucified or thrown in prison? I don't. It probably comes down to a lack of understanding, miscommunication, and growing up in a in a way that fundamentally tra uh, trains you to think one way. But and we've all grown up in that same society. Yeah, we have. Mm -hmm. But different parents, different cultures, mm -hmm. different everything. But to go back a second, you mentioned um, LGBTQ and black. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the movie Moonlight. Do you think that yes. was good for the community? I mean, that must have been a big push forward then. That was an amazing movie. Um, one of my favorite movies. Um, it was one of those movies that I certainly a lot of people saw it. It won a lot of awards. It was yeah. nominated for a lot of a lot of awards. Rightfully so. Um, but you know, within the black community, in my personal opinion, not enough black folk talking about it. Really? Mm -hmm. You had your pockets talking about it, uh, but not a lot. Almost like just Oscars were just looking for some. Wow, mm. that's interesting. And about. black people and African American folk. 
we didn't talk about it because for our coach, for the majority of folk in our culture that may even be gay or same gender loving or LGBTQ, we oftentimes uh, conform to social norms or and what um, these religious institutions and these religious folk in power and people in power um, tell us to do. And we've been ingrained to believe that 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 a gay lifestyle um, is not the way to live and it's not the way to be. Um, and that's been passed on down from, you know, generations and generations and generations. And as a result of that, there are some some conversations that are just taboo. We just don't talk about a lot of what we've been talking about today is very. Taboo. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, Tiger, I am hopeful because even with us sitting here, you, how you look, me, how I look, there were times when people didn't, who looked like us, they didn't have this talk. Yeah. And so I have to be hopeful. I have to be optimistic. Um, and we have to believe that the world is getting better mm-hmm. because folk, all different types, all folk were, were able to um, engage in conversations and engage in activities that um, our ancestors, even our parents, um, were, were not able to do. And so if we're fortunate enough to have kids, I have two amazing nephews that I love, um, I have to hope that, you know, maybe one day within the black community or within all communities that in terms of inclusion, this LGBTQ or same gender loving, or if you're atheist or a Protestant, or if you're a Catholic or a Buddha, like no one will really care. Nice. And I have to believe that. Because if I don't, like, why am I even here? Yeah. You know, so. I like that. To uh, transition out of that, you mentioned your middle name and its uh, importance to you. I'm curious if you want to touch on that. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. I'm trying not to get emotional here. That's a good one. So, um, I am a product of a single parent. Um, I am the youngest. I have, a, I have an older brother. His name is Josh, Joshua, Jamal Dorsett as well, Jamal. Uh, but uh, my father um, and mother, um, and you know, they were married. They had my brother, they had myself. Um, but my father um, had to exit out of my life when I was about three years old. My brother was about five or six. My, my father um, was a, a alcoholic. Um, he uh, got on, he, he became addicted to drugs um, in the early 80s. Uh, and ultimately, um, he passed away. And what was important for my dad, uh, and somehow he negotiated this with my mom, uh, was to, um, for any child that, that my mother and my father had, they would name, he, he or she would have a middle name of Jamal. Um, my parents love Jays. My whole family, for whatever reason, on both sides, they love Jays. I have a lot of cousins that are Jays, and my brother is Jay. Like Jays are Jason, Jackie, Jessica, Jade. I like it's all through our family. 
Um, but my father loved Jamal. And uh, the story is uh, he wanted his name to be Jamal. Uh, my father also wasn't big on like a junior or you know anything or Michael the second name was Michael Michael Tilden Dorset. Um, and but at any rate, he loved the name Jamal. Uh, he had a best friend named Jamal, um, who uh, I never really heard the end of that story. But something happened to his best friend. You know how sometimes family secrets you just never really find out, and I would never know now because my father has is, has has passed away. Um, but uh, before my father passed away, he and I um, became rather close. Uh, and he and my brother became rather relatively close. And um, my brother, uh, first son, uh, first born, my, my brother decided, he and his wife at the time decided to name uh, their firstborn um, after my brother, Joshua and then to keep the name Jamal, to keep the legacy of what my father wanted, so his wishes. And so that's just kind of what, what we've been doing. Uh, I now have two nephews. One is, uh name is Joshua Jamal Dorsett. We also call him Justice. Uh, and then my second nephew, who's my youngest nephew, his name is Josiah Jamal Dorsett. And we call him Josiah. Um, and so out of respect for my father, not when he was doing his, doing some wretched, inappropriate things and stealing from us and on drugs and all that, but once he started to, to kind of transform his life and get his life together, we started to um, engage in conversations and we really formed a great father and son's uh, relationship. And so in an effort to honor my father, I, I like to, um, when I introduce myself, especially publicly, um, I either get my middle initial or I say my full name. So that's why. I like that. Yeah, thank yeah. you. So just kind of along that same realm, you mentioned you're not religious in the classical sense anymore, but mm -hmm. you're spiritual, which involves a lot of family and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Do you have any thoughts on what happens after you pass? Do you still believe mm -hmm. in the classical heaven? <sighs> You know these questions. <laughs> you know, I do. I believe in heaven, uh, but I can't say why. I don't know why I believe in it. I think that is that's the optimism within myself. Like there has to be uh, um, a brighter more joyful place and I have to be able to <clears throat> have an opportunity to live to thrive and to experience that space um, I no longer believe that the rapture um, will be um, a tradi the, the traditional rapture as if you know Christ or whomever comes down and picks up all the people he wants and leave everyone here I think I think it'll be a different type of experience I um, I'm not quite sure I haven't really imagined how that would be uh, I just think that uh, people who um, some individuals have wrote have 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 said that they're not going to heaven um, because they're 
whatever, they drink alcohol, they are LGBTQ, they are not righteous or holy or don't go to church every Sunday or mass. I don't think that, um, I don't think that judgment will be placed upon folk like that. I think judgment will be placed on folk at the individual level. Trying their best in life. Yes. I like to think, giving yes. them grace. Giving them grace. Nice, I like to think yes. that same so if way. you're trying your best in life, um, whomever the person or, thing or entity is that makes that decision, they will be able to zoom in, laser focus on you and say, okay, did Tiger do his best? <laughs> Not to say he was perfect, did yeah. Jason do his best? Not to say he wasn't problematic, but did he do, do his best? In my opinion, the answer is yes, you're going somewhere. I don't know. I don't know where that someplace is, <laughs> yeah, but you want someplace. Good. Yeah, someplace so, good. So, what would you define as doing your best stuff? Because I've recently thought about it a lot. Um, I went to school to be a physical therapist, but uh -huh. since then, I've realized that's not the facet in which I want to help people. Um, I've really put it together that a lot of people derive meaning in their life through helping others in one form or another. For, through some people, it is helping one person one on one, such as physical therapy or being a nurse. But um, for me personally, I wanted a method that scaled better, such as podcasting. You know, a hundred thousand people could watch this and learn. Nice. Um, yes. So I'm curious if you have a way in which doing your best in this life, like what does that entail for you personally? You know, doing my best um, entails uh, not a lot of of um, awards and accolades, um, which I think people appreciate those. And those come. I received a lot of awards, a lot of accolades, but doing your best in life is really allowing yourself to become a selfless person, not to your detriment, but to a selfless person to uh, helping, assisting, um, and supporting others. Yeah. You know, prime example, um, you, uh, when we met, you didn't have to seek me out, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and if I'm truthful now, I'll tell you uh, when you initially were sort of looking for me, right? You went to a space where we first crossed paths. Oh, and, there's a, and it was a black culture center. Yeah. Probably thinking I worked there, right? So you went in and uh, you was looking for me and you was talking to some folk and uh, and then you, and then some folks sort of said, oh, Jason is over here, this is Jason. And you found out that that wasn't me, that was a different individual, his name was Terrence. And you did that, and while you were doing that, my phone was going off, people were texting me on my cell phone, they were calling my office, that they worked at the Lonnie Bears Black Culture Center. And um, then I finally went up there for something. And like, oh, Jason, this guy was looking for you. Uh, but he didn't know your name at first, and uh, he thought you were Terrence, and he was a white guy, right? So they kind of wrote you off. Okay. And um, but I admire your tenacity because you tracked me down. You found my email. Someone gave it to you, and we linked up. Yeah. And so I share that story to say. That to me, and we talked. You've come to my, to you know to my place. We've talked in preparation of this interview, and that's what it's about for me. You took a chance to want to learn me, want to hear my story, whatever we talk about, and I took a chance on you. Yeah. 
Um, and Tiger, I will say this. I, um, like I said earlier, I'm not feeling the best. Uh, but I took a chance. You, we took a chance on on, on each other. Yeah. You know. Uh, and on this campus, friend, I get a lot of I get a lot of strange requests. I do because of my position, because of the things I do. Uh, uh, I get a lot of attention, you know. And for me, it's never about the attention. You know, I don't have to. Um, go out here and do something really crazy to get noticed. Um, uh, I practice a great deal of humility, um, and I always say, "Okay, if I was on, if if I was a person wanting to engage in an interview, or wanting to engage in a conversation, or wanting to do, wanting to learn something, right? Um, I would want uh, a jerk." to sort of just give me the runaround and to push me away. And so I really try to role model, um, and I try to role model so others can see what I expect, um, and hopefully so others can also begin to um, adopt some of the same ways of living and being and treating others as, as I do. I like that. Mm -hmm. To delve a little bit deeper into that, um, what would be the facet then mm. that you're gonna try to take further in life to, to do your best? You know, that's uh, another great question. Um, I, uh, I've, been, I, I've, I've participated in, in a podcast before. I've, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've, I've participated in a few blogs. Um, I do a lot of public speaking now that's really picking up. Um, I am wrapping up my um, autoethnography, so a book. Uh, I've written a couple of chapters in books, a couple of articles and journals. Um, and so that's my approach. It's been to get out there, you know, get my story out, share my perspective as wide as I can um, and engage with as many people as I possibly can before my biological life clock stops ticking. Um, and that will come in many different facets and forms, such as this, such as talking to a stranger on the street, such as perhaps maybe one day even running for public office. Um, I have, every now and again, I, I change my mind, but I do have aspirations of becoming a college president one day. So that's influence. So I look for ways and positions uh, and sort of positionality in terms of how I can position myself to really make the broadest impact. I've thought about going into ministry, clergy, being a minister. So I'm always thinking about, okay, I've impacted 10,000 over here by doing this. How can I impact 100,000? Yeah. Well, if I can't impact 100,000, I'm gonna impact that one that may, have at, that may have the mobility and the capacity through blogs to impact millions. Mm -hmm. So I like that. So you're almost moving away from a place of educating people and into a place of policy making. Yes. And more direct change. Yes. I like that. Yes. And but again, I I I think you can do both. I don't wanna I don't wanna box myself in. I, I I'm all about educating others, but I'm also I like I like mutual education. You know, I like I like to learn. Um, because I have a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, I have a lot to share, I have a lot to give, but I also have a lot to learn. Um, and 
I want to take a lot in as well, you know, and process and build with people uh, and learn and grow together and make mistakes together. What would be some uh, some institutional changes that you'd make mm. if you did get into a place where you could? <clears throat> and you okay. may not have thought that far out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I got I got a little something. And again, I'm not quite sure, so you can't ask me the details. Yeah, and right? it could change when you leave. And it can, it can change, change when yeah. I leave. Uh, but I'm really fascinated, um, and I'm really hopeful that. Um, African-Americans in particularly um, can reap um, reparations. And what do you mean by that? So reparations are basically giving people what, what, not giving people what you owe them, but giving people some form of payout, some form of of cultural capital um, because of wrongdoing. So for instance, uh, we are currently on the Kawapui people's land, indigenous folk land here in this state. Uh, all of North America, all of this belongs to indigenous folk, okay? And so when the colonizers uh, made their way over here uh, to this quote unquote newfound land, uh, and they uh, thought that no one, no humanity was on this land actually uh, humanity was fine here. They were doing their own thing. They had their own culture. Uh, but the story is um, that um, colonizers uh, approached this unfound land and sort of made this land civilized, and that's not at all what happened. But at any rate, I digress. Um, but a, an example of reparations is, okay, um, and you can certainly check in with an indigenous person about this and native folk about this. Um, but Native American people, um, folks and peoples, were given reservations. So that was a way for the colonizers to say, we did you wrong. And as a result of doing you wrong, we're going to give you a subset of land and let you do what you want to do on this subset of land. African Americans, we didn't get that. We were taken from, our ancestors were taken from their land to North America to nurture, fertile, produce, build the infrastructure, okay, of what we see now as the United States. And we have not received one dime. And so... I want to figure out, first of all, let me say this. Reparations never means you can ever pay someone back. I'm not saying that would never happen. You would never be able to pay me back or my ancestors back from the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of brutality, of injustice, of raping our women, of raping our men, of killing our babies. You would, no one would ever, ever be able to pay that back. However, I do want to figure out a way that that could um, begin to help us not only heal, but at least acknowledge acknowledge the wrongdoing. Yeah. And without reparations, it doesn't have to always be money. You know, it could be land. Education. It can be education. Um, heck. Every African-American person that wants to go to an uh, institution of higher learning, they should let them go for free. Why not? Yeah. 
you know so things like that cool yeah i like that that's a pretty good goal yeah we'll see buddy we'll see cool cool well hey i appreciate your time today um, yeah actually one, one more thing yeah. before we go so uh in in terms of education and stuff if you'd want one people uh, everyone to leave with one thought idea thing that they could change in their life to mm. better how we all all as human beings are living in this place together you know i i i like i was sharing earlier i'm i'm sitting with and i'm stuck on this grace thing like the world is not going to get any better, you know, anytime soon. Um, and so if I could leave the viewers with one message or the listeners with one message, um, I would probably echo what Michelle Obama, First Lady Michelle Obama said when she said, when they go low, we go high, which means never fight. Um, Never approach things from a perspective, an eye for eye, and a and a, and it was eye for eye, teeth for teeth, or tooth for tooth, or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but take the high road. You know, two wrongs never makes a right. Yeah. You know, um, and you have a choice. We have choices in terms of how we wish to lead our lives, um, and how we wish, and the impact that we want to leave once we leave this 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 earthly world you know and so um when when people go low when things happen just take the hot road love it. yeah all right have a wonderful night thank you for your time